Happy Sunday morning. Was sitting out on the porch this morning doing a little bit of reading, and God decided to give me an unintended shower. <laughs> I'm sitting there reading, and splunk, splunk. I'm like, there's clear skies from here forward. There's one cloud right there. So a little bit of shower this morning is a good thing. So let me pray for us, and let's get us into First Peter chapter 5. Father, we are always grateful We need to always be grateful for your word, that you, as the eternal, sovereign, all-powerful God, have chosen to speak to us in a clear and concise way, in a way that can be understood in our limited minds, in a way that we can understand what we need to do and how we need to do it. And because you know our finite minds, you repeat yourself over and over and over because we need it. Father, help us to understand today what you want to say. Help, your, help us to uh, understand what your spirit is saying, applying it as we go through this week. In your name, amen. Amen. So we're, gonna, we're in uh, chapter 5. Can you believe we're in First Peter chapter 5 already? Um, this, this les- these lessons are moving quickly. Um, we have just three or four <laughs> lessons left. One, two, five lessons left. Um, so we're moving relatively quickly. Um, now we're in chapter five, but chapter five starts with one word. And you've heard me say this numerous times as, as I've taught, therefore... So therefore is there for a reason. But before we get to the reason that it's there, let's talk about what he's referencing. Because when he says therefore, he's saying because of the things we've already talked about, now let's focus on this. So what has he, what has he already talked about? So let me throw some verses and some of you will look these up and tell us what he has already talked about. Chapter 1, verse 4. Hand what out? Nope. Just looking to see who's willing to speak. Kept in heaven for us. So our eternal inheritance. As a reminder, which he says two or three times through the book so far, that we are sojourners and aliens. So our our inheritance is not focused on this earth. It's the inheritance to come. um, Or its completion is to come. So our our future inheritance, uh, chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay. So we are we are looking to a future inheritance, chapter one. The sufferings that we're going through, chapter one, are meant to prove our faith, right? Because chapter two, verse nine. We are a royal priesthood. 
We are a family. Chapter 3. And I'm not giving a verse because the, the first 10, 12 verses is about one topic. So what? Husbands and wives, what's the foundational topic of husbands and wives? Submission. And it doesn't just stop with submission because he talks about husbands and wives. He talks about the rest of the body. He talks about uh, our submission to government. So it's, it's our future inheritance, our royal priesthood, and that we must lead submissive lives. And then chapter 4, verse 8. And these were the last two weeks. We were in chapter 4. In our submissive lives, we are to do what? Just love one another? Fervently love one another. What does that look like? We've talked about that. So all of these pieces lead us to chapter 5. So that's the therefore. Because of all of these things we've already talked about, let's look at chapter 5. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, overseeing not under compulsion, but willing, willingly, according to God and not for dishonest gain, but with eagerness, not, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So how many after reading these four verses this week went, oh, this, this, this lesson not even for me. Anybody going to be honest? Because this is all about us. He directs the entire conversation to who? Verses 1 to 4 are directed to who? The what? The elders. Okay. So how does Peter describe himself in verse 1? Fellow elder. Fellow elder. So he's not the lone dude running the show. Right? But is he different from the other elders? How else does he describe himself? Witness of Christ's sufferings. Eyewitness. And you get into Second Peter. We're going to get there um, next week in, or in uh, two weeks. We're going to get into Second Peter. He talks specifically about being an eyewitness. So that's an important piece. And what else does he say about himself? What? Partaker of the glory to come. So, same, yet different. He is an elder, and he lumps himself with the other elders. Uh, What do we take from that? What's an elder? Okay, Bible uses four or five different words interchangeably for this topic. Okay, Um, pastor, overseer, bishop, right? The, The person who is ultimately in authority in the body. Okay? 
But does it say to the other elder? There, there's a plural. This is a plural word, and it's not an accident. So there should be more than one. Some of this is not new because it's things that you've heard since, we've, since Grace started 17 years, 16, 17 years ago. So some of this is not new, but it needs to be refreshed in our minds. Now here's the other piece. He is saying that my authority from that perspective is the same as your authority. Or should I say your authority is the same as my authority. However, he's unique because... He was with Christ. We call that an apostle, right? The only true apostles are those who walked with Christ. So he's saying, yes, I am an elder with you, but I have a little more than you have. And it's not a pride issue that brings him to this. It's an authority issue. He's laying this out so that we understand that even himself, he he lives under a very specific expectation as an elder. So he re, re, he re, uh, Peter re, raises the issue of a pastor's motivation. So let's look back through verse 2, 3, and 4 and look for wrong reasons to want to be a shepherd. So let's look, verse, look at verse 2, 3, and 4. So let's look at verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you overseeing not under compulsion but willingly according to God and not for dishonest gain but with eagerness. So stop there. Because there's more than one here. So what's one reason you shouldn't? Because it's a good paying job. Okay, we get paid well. Is that, is that true? Um, Some Connie, do, do, does the eldership that Scott bears to get paid well? No. Some places. Gil, are you getting paid to be an elder? No. All right. So I don't think pay is the direction that they that they choose to go to do this. Now, there are some churches that's very lucrative, right? I shouldn't say churches. I should say uh, places. Um, uh, country clubs. Right. Yeah. Those are country clubs. If, if their pastor is getting paid that well, having their own jet and their own mansion, and yeah, they, they, it's a country club, not a church. My opinion, not the Bible's, but. Take that for what it's worth. Um, so for money, money is not, should not be a focus for being a pastor. What's the second one in that, in that verse? I have to do this. It's hard because we're talking about somebody who is supposed to be what in the body of Christ? Spiritually mature, right? And when a church is struggling to find those that are spiritually mature, the ones that they do find tend to feel overwhelmed. And then that being overwhelmed, it's very easy to start feeling like, got to do this so I'm going to jump ahead because a question that he asks later is very appropriate at this moment 
How can a congregation help its leaders avoid the temptations cited in this passage? So how can you, as a member at Grace, help our elders not feel like, What's that? Show them some appreciation. Appreciation. Okay. Pray. Pray for them. Good. Ah, we come to it, right? Are the elders truly called to do anything different than what the rest of the body is called to do? There's one thing they are called to do differently, and that's teach the word, right? But beyond that one piece, what are they called to do that's different than the rest of us are called to do? Because 1 Timothy, I believe it's 1 Timothy, states that their job is to equip the body for the work of service. Are you expecting the elders to do the work, or are you stepping up to do the work? And if you're not, is there discouragement because you're not doing what the Bible is telling you you need to be doing? Jeremiah, I saw your hand, buddy. Sorry, I stole your thunder. That's okay. <laughs> I always kind of laugh and say, like, don't call on the elder to pray at home for the meal, right? Like, do, do, you know, we always look at one of our elders and say, will you pray for us? <laughs> no, yeah. you pray. You, you know, yeah. you, you person under the elder pray because that's what you're to do. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's your house. You pray. Yeah. I'm not talking about any one person. We always laugh. Well, I hate to say it, but I'm guilty of that myself. Me too. But, you know, they don't say any more special prayer than we do. Yeah. Yeah. We're all talking to the same God, right? Yeah, exactly. As a believer, we're hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Verse 3 Not yet is lording it over those allotted to you, but being examples to the flock. What's another thing that to be an elder, you should not be an elder because of wanting to do what? Power. Power. Okay. Um, He uses three phrases uh, in the the workbook. um, Not to um, dominate, intimidate, or manipulate. Not to intimidate, not to dominate, not to manipulate. But what's the opposite side of that? And this, this, is, this can be a struggle for somebody who doesn't feel appreciated, who feels like they're required to do everything at the church and other people are not stepping forward. The next three words in that verse make it very hard for them. Mine says, with all eagerness. Is it easy to be eager when you know people at least appear to not appreciate what you do? Now, is there anything in the, the need, the, the, the saying that it's a compulsion for me to do this as an elder if I were an elder, which I'm not? Um, I'm just using myself as an example to make it easier so I don't call anybody out. Um, is that overseeing with under compulsion? Is that truly sinful? 
to feel like I have to be doing this. Because usually when Scripture is talking about something that's truly a sin, there's usually a consequence listed in that same passage for that sin. Whether it's an intentional or an unintentional consequence, there's usually something that's there. But here, this is more of an exhortation. This is more of, uh, you really shouldn't be doing this. That's absolutely true. The context of with money too, so money could compulse what you're saying, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to your people, whatever. If you say the wrong thing, it could hurt your pocket. You know, that kind of thing. Okay. I think another thing is my understanding. I mean, if if you're called by God to be a pastor or an elder, you're called, and you don't have much of a choice, right? I mean. You do, right? But but you're called by God, right? So you kind of have to do it, right? Because you inside, right, between you and God, like there's no peace if you don't obey, right? So in that sense, you are compelled, right? But you shouldn't be compelled by people, right? It shouldn't be because a bunch of people are like, oh, you should be a pastor. Oh, oh okay, I don't really want to do this. I don't feel called by God, but I'm going to do it because everybody's wanting me to or people are telling me I should or I need the money and it's a good job or whatever, right? So make sure that that compulsion, if you will, comes from God, not from other people. Okay. All good. But let me, let me kind of redirect this because what they're saying is absolutely true. Uh, if you're an elder in this room, please raise your hand. So how many are in here? One. This lesson isn't for the elders. This lesson's for you guys. So if we go back to chapter 4, where it starts before he says, therefore, and says, fervently love one another, what does your fervent love for your elders look like? And I, I'm so happy, not happy is not the right word. Um, I'm glad that I am the one who's teaching this lesson and not an elder. Because this has been on my heart for years. Because the men that serve as elders in our body, they don't feel a compulsion due to man's praise. They have a compulsion because it's what God has called them to do. Yet we have made it a drag on some of them. And in the process of making it a drag on some of them, are you showing fervent love to your elders? Just because the work is hard doesn't mean you have to make it miserable. It's time to fervently love the body and let's start with the top.
Let me back up. What are the right motivations to serve a shepherd? We talked about the things that we don't want them to have to deal with as serving a shepherd. So what are the, the good things that are supposed to come from this passage serving a shepherd? Say what? The desire is voluntary. Willingness and eagerness, right? They're willing to do it. That's kind of what Caleb said, right? I don't want to be an elder, but if you're going to... No, they're willing to do it, number one. They're eager to do it. It's not that they want to be an elder, but they want to serve the body. It has nothing to do with the title and the praise that goes with the title. It's the fact that they get to serve the body. Why is that so important? Who is the body? The what? The bride of Christ. And as they serve the body, they serve the bridegroom. There should be an eagerness in that, right? And if the body is trying to love each other fervently, it makes that job of of being eager to serve the body a little bit easier. He mentions one more thing uh, in verse 3. Not lording it over those allotted to you. Let's stop there. No, I'm going to come back to that. I don't want to forget this, though. Um, But being examples to the flock. Anybody think that has kind of an arrogant flair to it, does it? Look at me. Is that what this is about? No. It's, it's, it's not imitate me. It's imitate me as I imitate Christ. 1 Corinthians 11. 1. Paul said the exact same thing. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's not what I do that matters. It's what he's doing, and I'm trying to follow <laughs> that. exactly right. Uh, 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 20. I'm going to jump, jump around a little bit here. Um, and the next question, he says, how can a congregation help its leaders? We've talked about that a little bit, but um, I, I think there's more to it than just what we've said so far. And I think grace does a good job of part of what we're getting ready to talk about. First Timothy five, seventeen to twenty. The elders who lead well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor at preaching the word and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox while it's threshing and the and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So even though it's not about money, we are to take care of our, take care of our elders, right? That's what, it, that's what it's saying. And I think Grace does a good job of taking care of, um, taking care of our, our elders. Do not, this is another one. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Okay? This isn't saying we overlook sin. Okay? But this isn't, and, and, I don't, I, and I, I don't, I'm not privy to a lot of what goes on in the elder meetings. Um, 
But compared to churches that I've been in in the past, I can speak at least from what I've seen here. And that is, um, it says two or three witnesses. Okay? If we follow the Matthew 18 principle, you go to the person, you come back with a brother, and then you take it before the church, right? Matthew 18. We, we try to practice that here. Um, but we're not talking about one witness and his two buddies who never saw what happened. Two to three witnesses. Two or three people that have seen the sin that needs to be dealt with. And is it sin? Yes, look at the next verse. Those who continue in sin reprove in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful. This is not a behind closed doors issue. If an elder is sinning, it's dealt in the face of everybody. Because all elders should be fearful of sinning in this way. So there's always, everything's a delicate balance, right? We don't make unfounded accusations, two to three witnesses, but we also don't let them slide by with serious sin. There has to be accountability, right? So this is all part of what the church is supposed to be doing, right? Not elders doing it for other elders, although that does happen um, and that is good, but it's the body's responsibility to be alert to what's going on. God help grace. If we are so unconcerned and not paying attention and asleep at the wheel, if things that have happened with other ministries... And only the one that comes to mind right off the top of the uh, right off the top of my head is uh, RZIM Ministries, Ravi Zacharias. If that should ever happen here and be a surprise, God help Grace. Because if that were to happen here, people better 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 be going and talking to that person before it gets to that point. And gentleness and in reverence for fear of it's the same thing happening to us we are no better and no worse we all are we all stand even at the foot of the cross but we have to hold each other accountable the elders hold us accountable and we have to hold our elders accountable that's our job He also goes to Titus chapter 1. Verses 7 and 8. For the overseer must, not, uh, must be beyond reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of dishonest gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and reprove those who contradict. Um, this is the, one of the qualification passages, right? We've read this before, especially when we're getting ready to call new elders, right? The process, that, the vetting process that Grace goes through to call a new elder is what this is talking about. That's the body helping to make sure 
Our elders are what God expects our elders to be. We go through this every time a new elder is called and say they give 30 days for you to come back here to Titus and go back to 1 Timothy and go. Um, uh, not self-willed. Gil, is Gil a self-willed person? Is he somebody who focuses on himself first and foremost? Uh, not quick-tempered. Is Gil somebody who gets angry? We did this with Gil. Just like we did with every other elder that's walked, walked through, that, through that doorway. And it's what you should be doing every time an elder is called. You shouldn't be saying, oh, it's 30 days and la-di-da. That afternoon, you should be coming back and you should be opening up Titus chapter 1, verses 7 to 9. And you should be sitting down with a pad of paper and saying, is this person self-willed? Is this person quick-tempered? Do I see this? Because people who live day by day with that person will be able to say yes or no to every single one of those. And if the answer is yes, then the answer is no. That's the vetting process that God has given us. That's the vetting process that the body is responsible for. Are the elders responsible to live this way? Absolutely. But if an elder gets in who is not living this way, it's our fault. It's not, it's not his fault that he got through. Now God's going to hold him accountable for that. For allowing himself to be put in that place. But he's going to hold us accountable for putting him in that place. So, yes, this, this, these four verses are about... Our elders and, and what should be expected of our elders. But these four verses are also about what are we doing as the body? Are we taking care of our elders the way we should? Are we holding them to the standard that we should be holding them to? And are we vetting them before they get into a position where they could hurt themselves, their families, or somebody else? Now, he stops at verse 4. And I don't want to stop at verse 4 in um, 1 Peter 5. Because verse 5 to me um, is part of this conversation. And I'm going to come back to verse 5 next week, but we can't bypass verse 5 after things that we've said today. Because you're going to have somebody, some, you're going to have somebody that's going to, some young buck who's going to come by and want to get in an elder's face, Right? I see what you do. He speaks to that. And there's a reason this is the next verse, right? You younger men likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And he's going to talk about humility in the next verse. But this is the point. Are we to hold our elders accountable? Yes. But we're also to be submissive to our elders. Do you agree or disagree with what the elders are doing? You may disagree. Is it a biblical disagreement or just your personal fancy? If it's your personal fancy, it's time for you to submit. If it's a biblical disagreement, then it's time for you to go sit down and have a conversation with the elders during an elders meeting and lay it out and see what they have to say. And if you're not willing to do that, 
then you need to submit. And it doesn't mean go talk to the two buddies that don't know what's going on and start having that conversation. If you have a problem with the way the elders are doing things, then go talk to them. They have an elders meeting every other week, most of the time. During serious times, it's every week. So there's plenty of opportunity and every one of them has an open door. You can drop by their house and have that conversation with them if they need it. And they will take it to the rest of the elders. But if you've got a problem and you're not willing to talk to elders about it, you have to submit. Or there's only one other option. Find a new church. It's hard, isn't it? Because if you're not going to submit, you don't need to create dissension. If you feel like you have a righteous and a biblical reason to not submit, then take it to the elders. Because they will listen. And they will take what you're saying to Scripture and they will work it out. One of the things that, that our elders do is take their time, right? They don't move fast on anything, and you should be grateful for that. Because they look at everything from a biblical lens to see if it's right or wrong, prudent or not prudent. Now, I jumped ahead there, but I, I needed, needed to go there. Let me finish off with this. Uh, if you haven't read through the rest of this lesson, please do it. Um, he goes to Ephesians chapter 4. He goes to 1 Timothy chapter 3, which 1 Timothy chapter 3 is just a repetition and an expansion of Titus chapter 1. Um, he goes to Matthew 20, where he talks about um, the disciples being leaders in the church and what that leader should look like. Um, the leaders of the world lord it over you, but that's not the way... It, the person who leads in the church should be your servant. So he talks about that in Matthew chapter 20. And then he gets into Isaiah 40, Zechariah 13, John chapter 10, talking about the great shepherd. And this is the last thing I want to talk about in verse 4. It says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Chief shepherd. The head shepherd. Over the under shepherds. And in grace, we have six under-shepherds. Okay? The under-shepherds need to be reminded, verse 3, that these people are allotted over, allotted to you. These aren't my people. These are Jesus' people that He's given me to look out for for a little bit. And if you start to get a little frustrated at your elder, just remember He's not your elder. Okay? He's the under-shepherd who God has put over you at this moment to look out for you. And you are not his sheep. You are his sheep. And you need to submit to the chief shepherd. And in submitting to the chief shepherd, you will submit to the under-shepherd. This is, this is to the elders, but it's about us. And we need to remember that. Let me, let me pray for us.
Father, you have really just whacked us with the word. Um, you continue to you continue to throw things to us this during this this study of First Peter that are uncomfortable. But Lord, clearly you want us to, to, to know and to understand and to deal with these things today. Father, I pray that you'll help us to be good sheep. Help us to fervently love our elders. Help us to not make it a compulsion for the work that they do. Father, just help us to love them. And help us to love one another. Because in our loving one another, we are going to remove that compulsion on our elders. Father, thank you for your word. How strong and powerful it is every day. Father, I lift up guilt to you as he preaches today. Father, I pray that the spirit will just speak clearly through him as well. In Jesus' name.